0: Obsession by Calvin Klein.
1: Surface. This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect. It cannot be destroyed. By my co host, John Syracusa. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is June 22nd, 2012. This is episode number 73 we have two sponsors we would like to say thank you to them getharvest.com also known as just harvest and squarespace.com and again, we will tell you more about them as the show continues i'm trying to jam everything into a
0: carry-on so i don't have to check any luggage well
1: power. that's what you gotta do you gotta you gotta do that
0: oh i'm bringing like a laptop and a hard drive and all sorts of crap that i have to that
1: could be a show things. topic in itself how does john syracuse a pack
0: how do i fly reluctantly and with
1: great trepidation great great,
0: great anxiety
1: yeah yes. and this you're you are doing more traveling in the space of like a month than you've done in the last 5 years combined
0: no it's always like this in the summer i always go well last summer WWC is what screws it up because i always go to, to my in-laws in the summer and then uh, i drive down to long island which i have less of a problem with like leave whenever you want you know pack your car plenty of room no falling to your death you know know. (laughs) you don't get sucked out you get blown out he's gone from suck to blow
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right so here we are showtime how are you feeling i mean you're you're pumped you're ready to go you got the ringers turned off (laughs) you're all set you're unreachable
0: I did that because of last week or or last time I was in here. Remember (laughs) when the phone went off and I said, oh, I've got to turn that ringer off. So I turned the ringer off. And then last night my wife tried to call me and said, why aren't you answering the phone? Because I'm like, I'm in the room with the door closed and the air conditioning on and you can't, can't hear anything in the rest of the house. So she had the same problem last night. Oh, well,
1: doesn't bother you. Devil may care. That's you.
0: I mean, if I'm in this room, I'm on the computer. So there's 10 other ways to reach me. You could, you know, someone could send me a tweet or an IM or an email or any sort of things that you can do from your various telephonic devices. All right. So we have a little, uh, I did a medium amount of of preparation for this episode. I'm still slightly in panic mode about the (laughs) review. So I guess the first follow up will be about progress on that. For those
1: who don't know, John Syracuse uh, quite famously writes a review of the, I guess, uh, in, in, it's not the latest anymore, but every time a new version of macOS, macOS 10 comes out, you write a lengthy, detailed, in-depth, and, and uh, if I may say, just amazing and wonderful, entertaining review. You do this every time, and you are n- scrambling now to get the review of Mountain Line done in time because it was, was just announced at WWDC. Not only are they moving to a yearly release schedule, but you've got, till sometime, a mystery date in July to get this review done.
0: Yeah, that was a repeat of last year where they said, it'll be out in July, and then I don't know what that means.
1: But uh, you, you as somebody who likes to be prepared, you interpret that, or you worst case scenario is, you need to have this review written by July the 1st.
0: Yeah, and that's what I thought last year and last year I did not have it done by July 1st. And this year I will also not have it done by July 1st, but that's what I'm shooting for. I feel like I'm farther behind than I was last year. Uh, I should have looked this up earlier to see when you know, I've been I've been taking notes and and collecting things for a long time, but when did I type the first character in my actual review file? It was probably several months ago. Uh, and it, and so right now I think I've passed the 50% point. Right. And so it's taken me how many months to get to fifty percent, and now I have <laughs> like a week and a half to do the other fifty percent, and then that's and then that's in uh, software developer parlance, and then that will constitute only the first ninety percent, and then I'll have the second ninety percent too. That probably doesn't make sense to anyone who hasn't written software, but believe me, it makes sense. Oh, so so I don't know. I like. I mean, I'm I'm off on vacation. Well, vacation in quotes, more air quotes. Next week, I'm going to be at my in-laws. I'm bringing with me my big laptop, my external hard drive, my little microphone for dictation, my computer that has a properly licensed copy of Photoshop CS6 on it and Dragon Dictate with, you know, like my entire setup I'm trying to bring with me. Why not just bring
1: the Mac Pro? Yeah.
0: That... (laughs) <laughs> you know the, what is the carry-on? Not the carry-on. The baggage limit on right. the last airline that it was fifty pounds per bag. And I think the Mac Pro by itself, not in a bag, weighs fifty pounds. So no. I'm not Actually, I,
1: I would advise against that anyway because they're not—they're not very careful. When I was uh, when I was a kid, probably about eight years old, they uh, the airline uh, Delta destroyed my Vectrex.
0: Yeah, no, never forgiven them can't check anything. I I'm wondering. I I might have to check one of my cameras, heavily padded in clothing inside my Well, no, I'm going to check it. It would be in the carry-on. Anyway, I, I still have to pack. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to fit all this junk. But yeah, so just because I bring all this stuff with me doesn't mean that now I have the whole next week to, you know, I'll be going places with the kids, doing things, maybe we'll go to the movies with them, we're going to go to Great America, we're going to see relatives, like all the stuff you do on vacation. But my wife has promised me some amount of time will be carved out for me to sit in a room hunched over 17 computers precariously perched on various pieces of furniture in my in-law's house, trying desperately to write open web pages, take screenshots, do all the things that I need to do. It it still amazes me how long it takes me to like, you think, oh, I'll, you know, I'm going to do section, you know, tonight I've got all this time. I'm going to, I'm going to write about like notification center and the dictation feature. And like, boy, I'll get so many things done. And you realize like you, you start working. And you have like four paragraphs done and then you look at the clock and an hour and a half has passed. And like how did four paragraphs take an hour and a half? And it's because like every freaking sentence is you, know, you got you to research, uh, check to see that this is true, find all the things to the links and it just, boy, it kills me. And, and the real thing that, that makes it so difficult that it just seems like it's getting worse with time is, and I don't know if people, I think people uh, think these reviews take less time than they do. But I, I'm writing a review about something that's not done. See, so there's only so much you can do ahead of time. Like, I can't look at something and, and play with it and see how it works and do all these experiments and tests and like all the due diligence people think you do and then start writing something about it because the next build to come out and it could be totally changed. Oh, it doesn't work that way anymore. All your screenshots are useless now. Oh, remember when you complained when there was this bug? Well, the bug is gone, but there's a new bug in it. Like <laughs> you can't, how can you have an opinion about something? Oh, it's buggy and slow. Oh, it's really snappy and fast. Uh, I like how this works. I don't like how it works. How, how can you like think about your opinion, write it down. If the, if your opinion could be totally invalidated by the next build that comes out next week. So there's always this mad dash at the end to say, like, place your bets. Is this feature going to change? Is this going to be the same? Should you write about this? Especially with stuff that's buggy uh, or broken or slow. You know, you think, oh, I bet he's going to, you know, be so mad about that this thing is buggy and he'll have a section interview about it. He complains about how awful this is and Apple really gets to Zach the other. But then what if it gets fixed before, in, in the second to last build? Well, you know, forget that. You wasted your time writing that paragraph, being all indignant about something not working, because now it does. And vice versa. If it works fine the whole time, but then it breaks in the later build. Ugh.
1: And if, pe- if people are thinking that you could circumvent this whole problem by just writing your release, uh, writing your review after the release, you, that that y- the whole point is to get this thing out when it comes out.
0: Yeah. And, and like, you know, how many months does it take me? 50%. It takes forever to write this stuff. So I can't wait for it to be done and say, now I will write. I have to be... I have to be basically writing stuff and hoping that it's correct and then frantically going through the GM build, assuming I get it before the general release, and confirming, is this still true? Is that still true? Does this still look like this? Does that still work like this? Let me reconfirm this opinion. Let me reinstall the operating system eight billion times to remind myself of what the <laughs> defaults actually are. Oh, the defaults changed in this build. You know, and every time you reinstall the operating system, that takes like hours, you know. What I mean, or on my slow laptop, it does it. it the time adds up and it's It's quite stressful. So someday I I will eventually retire from doing these OS 10 reviews. If Apple stops changing, stops using cat names, or changes from OS 10 to OS 11, I'm always looking for a point where I will pick a stopping point and retire. Because for some reason, these things seem like they're taking more out of me with time, not less. Like you think I'd be like, oh, it's old hat. He knows what he's doing. You know, it just should get easier with time. It it seems like it doesn't. It Seems like it gets harder. Of course, part of that has to do with oh, it gets harder because when you started doing these. you were just married and had no kids, and uh, not many responsibilities. Didn't even have a house. Now I've got a house, two kids, a podcast that I do every week, you know, a, a job, and just like it. It adds up. So there, I don't know. I, I get I get this uh, depressed, defeated feeling usually around this time writing <laughs> these reviews. As I always say to people, who ask I like having done the reviews. The process of doing them though is getting. Uh, seems like it's getting harder. Maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know, Dan.
1: Well, we are all getting older.
0: Yeah, as they say, it beats the alternative. All right. Uh, <laughs> one one actual semi-legitimate follow-up item here. Uh, semi semi legitimate. Yeah, a, I'm so far behind on follow-up because remember before WWC I did a whole show about E3 and there's tons of follow-up about that and then we talked about WWC, and then there's some random follow-up, like but I don't have time for any of that now. Uh, I didn't even have time to go through all of it. i to you know, even pick and choose which ones I want to talk about, but as was discussed on Marco's show and I think I'll re- just repeat it here for people who don't listen to both shows, many people have been asking me what was the deal with all those TBA WWDC sessions. Uh, we talked about that I think on the show second. The, the show Not the show before WWDC, but the show before that, that Apple had announced the session schedule for WWDC, but they had more than usual uh, number of sessions that were marked to be announced. And those are usually kept secret until the day of the keynote, at which time they reveal what the names of those sessions are. Uh, and seeing a lot of to be announced ones, like, oh, boy they, they must have a lot of super secret, interesting stuff to be revealed uh more than usual this is going to be a big year at WWDC, and so we all tried to think about what those things could possibly mean did it mean they had a new platform a new programming language uh at a couple shows before WWDC, marco said uh it could very well just be that the ios 6 which we all know is coming has tons of new features and that could account for all of the sessions there and i said on a, on a show before wwc that after listening to his uh Prediction, it was depressingly plausible, and so now everyone wants to know, what were the sessions? What were the sessions? Because, you know, we didn't really talk about them after the thing. Now, supposedly, every, you know, all those to be announced sessions on the schedule itself are, are covered under NDA, but what I've been replying to people who have been asking me on Twitter and in email, like, what were the TBA sessions, It's nothing that exciting. If it was something exciting, you would have seen it on all the Apple News websites, the ones that don't care about breaking NDA or the rumor sites. They would have said, oh, you know, the, some of the TBA sessions were that Apple's building a motorcycle. And, <laughs> you know, like, you would have seen it. Like It's not... You know, it, it was just a bunch of stuff that uh, the sessions, either the session titles or the descriptions contained information that was in the keynote. You can go watch the keynote. It's publicly available on Apple's website. No NDA required. And basically, all those TBA sessions... They all mentioned something that was revealed in the keynote. Right,
1: Marco and kind of addressed this. You may have been busy this week and not heard it, but he said similar to what you're saying is that there was something in the description that wasn't wasn't something that they necessarily wanted out or that they wanted out before the keynote. That kind of thing. But what you're saying is is there's there's not, no super big secret, exciting thing that happened. These are just things that are important and relevant to the developers.
0: Yeah. And so, no, there was no really exciting thing. So everyone, anyone thinking there's some sort of secret that people at WWDC know that they're not being revealed, like, <laughs> that's, not how, that's not how the Apple world works. It's impossible to announce something or to have something in a WWDC session that's exciting and not have it leak out. You would have read it on rumor sites. So uh, it was the boring explanation. Nothing exciting to see there. Sorry to disappoint everybody. And that was it for my follow-up.
1: What's tell you got yeah, that may be the shortest follow up in the history of follow ups.
0: Well, I think of the WWE show; we had no follow up. We just went right into it.
1: Well, but th- that's the complete omission of follow up. This was actually a follow up segment, and was the shortest follow up segment we've ever done. Could be, could be.
0: So, my topic for today, or one of my topics, depending on how this goes, and okay? How far we go through is Surface by Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that says on the website. If you go to the Microsoft Surface website, yeah. which is in the show notes, it, it says Surface by Microsoft. No comma, by the way. It's a slightly pretentious phrasing, I guess. It, it reminds me of Obsession by Calvin Klein. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, 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 I, don't, it's, I don't know what they're doing. They're, like, I can't, they're not imitating Apple because Apple tends not to do like a Surface by Microsoft type of phrasing. They, they, they're pretentious yeah. in a different way. Uh, they're a lot more direct and straightforward in their ad copy, but and like, are, are they putting on airs, or is this really like what lo- what's lurking beneath the new Microsoft? Is this kind of, I don't know what you would call it, this this kind of attitude or aesthetic? Not you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the a- the aping about. of Apple. It's not though. They're not aping Apple. They're they're doing their own. They're you know,
1: it's, it still reminds me. I mean, all you know, their move to going with with things that are kind of simple. The one one or two three word, you know, the new iPad, and that's Apple's thing. Surface, my my, I don't know. It seems
0: you know, you're right. The page design, if you look at it, it yeah. looks more like an Apple website, and not a lot of words. It doesn't look like a typical Apple website page, but this the the phrasing there reminds me more of cologne. L- yeah, like, like luxury branding, like when they're trying to sell you a really expensive watch. Right? Uh,
1: okay, yeah. Or, or you know, I, I or, or
0: cologne or like a, a luxury car that costs way too much. Uh, you if know,
1: Microsoft like, made a cologne, do you think that that would be competitive?
0: They probably have made a cologne. I'm going to go out on a limb and say <laughs> at one point in its history, Microsoft has made a fragrance product. <laughs> even if only as just part of some marketing launch. Someone at Microsoft can tell me uh, whether, whether or not that's true, but I'm going to assume it is. So it makes me happier. All right, so <laughs> I don't even remember the date of this presentation because I'm behind, but I watched it, the video. Uh, Microsoft did a presentation link in the show notes to a, a YouTube video showing the entire thing, and they were announcing their new tablet product. Uh, these notes are roughly organized in the order that the things appear in the presentation, but, but not really. So first, a, a few overview notes. This this looked like it was a press Event where they just invited press and then had some of the Microsoft employees in a in a relatively small room, kind of like the Apple town hall meetings, where they just fly people out to the headquarters, uh, and it's a it's a small room with a little tiny stage. Uh, in the audio, it sounded like a small room. Like when they would, it was like an applause line or something, and people would clap. It sounded like a bunch of people in the break room, <laughs> like applauding someone's birthday <laughs> announcement. <laughs> I think they still have a lot to learn from Apple's presentations. I think that they need more rehearsal. I think they need better staging, like because more rehearsal because the people sometimes stumbled and it didn't look like they knew exactly what they were going to say. And it was like the presenters weren't Apple's Apple's presenters are almost like they're reading from a script, but not like they're reading from a script. Like the bad thing about reading from a script is you sound like you're sitting there and reading something. Right. But the good thing about reading from a script is you know what you're going to say. Like, it's the, it's the opposite of this podcast, basically, where I'm stumbling over everything and just kind of th- making it up as I go along. That is the opposite of a polished presentation like Apple does. where they get up on stage and you, you get the feeling that almost every word out of their mouth was known beforehand. But you don't get the feeling that they're reading off a teleprompter or something like that. And that's the magic of, of Apple's presentation. I think that just comes from rehearsal, 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 tons of rehearsal, refining the things. And they just didn't have that much here. I don't know if it's because they didn't have time or because they don't feel like rehearsing that much. or They think one or two walkthroughs is okay, but uh, they need a little help there. And then the staging is like, that's how that's you control. That's your first impression, like control how the staging works. I mean, from the video, it looked like they had a little area set up to look kind of like, you know, 2001, big white floor right. or, you know, a backdrop and some few pieces of furniture, very, you know, modern looking furniture. But it also looked like the audience was on the same level as them. Like it was a big empty room and they were just... The audience was standing like it wasn't a raised stage. Uh, Apple usually does it on a raised stage. And I don't know about the, the acoustics in the room or how everything was recorded, but the staging seemed definitely different than Apple. I mean maybe they're going for something different, but I think it felt a little bit less professional and polished. And this type of stuff matters like it's marketing, you know, or PR. I don't know the right word for it, but like, you know, it doesn't change the nature of the product or their business plan or anything like that. Uh, but it's it's a first impression. Uh, and some of some the other things is like they're obviously taking cues from Apple's presentations in how they choose some themes to sort of hammer on. You know how Apple was kind of pick a theme and just keep keep reiterating it throughout the thing. Steve Jobs would repeat the same phrase over and over again. That's very typical marketing. Like they have a very few bullet points they want you to know. Like this is, you know, this phone is a, you know. It's it's a phone, it's an internet communicator, and it's uh, whatever the other thing. It's an iPod, like all wrapped into one, and they, and they would just keep repeating that. Well, Microsoft took that lesson to say, oh, we've got to have a few points that we wanna, really want to hammer home and not distract them with like too much information, like really just concentrate on what our message is. But some of the points were strangely chosen, and the one that really jumped out at me was, they kept hammering on the 22-degree angle on the bevel on this thing. Well, It seems like I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm not. We'll get to the actual announcements in a bit, but these are just meta comments. Uh, the tablet is like, you know, it's like a tablet, a big rectangle thing. And the sides of it are not straight. The sides of it are angled inwards so that the top is wider than the bottom. And they're angled inwards at 22 degrees, which they kept reiterating. And of all the things to to reiterate, like Apple tends to pick broader less nerdy things to hammer on i mean they didn't even have a convincing reason why 22 degrees is exactly right except for the fact that like we try lots of different things and 22 degrees just felt right and it's just so important and everything is 22 de- you know it's a very nerdy thing to hammer on instead of like this is you know really the best ipod you will ever own or the, 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 the iPad, best way to um, listen to music yeah the ipad is a magical transformative device like you know much broader kind of headline-y type things that you could include in about But 22 degrees, it's a very nerdy thing. So I, th- I think their taste in what they're going to emphasize also needs some some refine. Now, yeah, to co-
1: to compare and contrast these things, there was a great video that uh, you tweeted about on ReadWriteWeb that ha- it was a comparison. They called Surface versus iPad. Uh, Microsoft's getting rusty at stealing from Apple is, is the title of this video. I would like to put that into the show notes because it shows... Some of the highlights, I guess you would call them highlights, of the iPad introduction video, of course, with Steve Jobs uh, comparing it to the Surface video. And it seems like the point of that video, or at least the way the video was put together, the way the video was constructed, is that it, it was meant to show that, uh, that Microsoft is stealing or borrowing or using, reusing, perhaps is a better word, a lot of the same trying to get the same concepts across as they are introducing their tablet. Did you, I know you watch this. What do you think about that? Is that an apt comparison or was it simply constructed to make it appear that Microsoft was borrowing from Apple's presentation to some degree?
0: I think I didn't actually retweet that because I did see that video and I didn't really like it because you know, you can do that type of video like daily show style where you're trying to say uh, let's put these two things side to side so you can see how comically one is ripping off the other or how one is a pale imitation of the other. But what it looked to me was just like pieces of two presentations interspersed, and it didn't do a good job of highlighting the things that I thought were worse about the Microsoft presentation. Instead, it was just like, "See, this thing happened first, and this thing happened second. Therefore, these guys are bad because right. I mean, they're both introducing a tablet, of course. Like it was. So you're I saying if, of,
1: anybody who's introducing a tablet, of course they're going to say that it's lightweight. Of course they're going to say that it, you know, that it's nice to yeah. watch a show or on like
0: or it has a beautiful screen and like you know, I mean, like it's. <laughs> I get what it was going for. I just didn't think it really hit the mark that well. Uh, but it's, you can put it in the show notes. People can decide for themselves. I have put it there.
1: And, and the show notes that we're talking about, 5by5.tv five five slash hypercritical slash 73. That's where all of the notes for the show are the, and uh, everything, including the, a link to, uh, to Great America, which is, by the way, not the same thing as Great Adventure. I just want to make that clear.
0: Man, did, you've never been to Action Park, have you? I have not. We, should have, we could have a whole show on Action Park. That sounds more like an After Dark topic. Okay. New Jersey and you, perfect together. All right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know that guy either, just, do you? No, I don't know, but I like the voice. I did. That was a bad versioning. <laughs> you get get some, someone else to do the impression of that. And anyone who grew up in New Jersey in the uh,
1: 80s. I just like hearing you do voices whenever you don't. Yeah.
0: All right. So let's get to the the product itself. If, if by now you've gone to the Microsoft Surface website, which is Microsoft.com slash Surface, and I think it will redirect you to whatever the default, that ASPX, oh, Jesus, Microsoft, come on, uh, page that it actually shows. They don't quite understand the web yet. Um, what, what they show on the, the homepage is not a tablet sitting there in front of your face. What they show when you first look at it is something that looks like a laptop. It's the tablet in landscape mode propped upright with a keyboard, trackpad thing extending out in front of it. Like that's their, that's their, the first image of this product. You go to look at this product page, and instead of seeing something that looks like an iPad, like an Apple's things are just a rectangular, you see something that looks like a laptop. And what it looks like to me is it looks like the future. Like when you, in, in the, 90s, Macworld, I remember, used to like commission frog design to right, make, yeah, to make like, make us what the Mac of the future would look like because it sells magazines to kids. Like, I loved buying them. It's like, oh my God, look at this. this. This is what the Macs of the future could look like. And they, of course, it's just, you know, they're making not actual real products, just things made out of foam and plastic, you know, just prototypes of saying, this is what computers could look like in the future. And that's what Surface looks like. It looks almost exactly like a prototype computer of the future from the 90s. Like, because those prototypes didn't have to actually function. So it would all be like, okay, well, imagine if the keyboard was like, it's, you know, as thin as a couple pieces of paper and the, and the keys themselves were completely flat and just sensed your fingers. And the entire computer was in this super thin screen and like the, the entire laptop could be less than half an inch thick and it would fold up and fold back on itself and it could be used as a tablet and used as a pen. That was the computer of the future when, when I was a kid. And it, here it is sitting on their page. It looks. So much like the future that we all thought would happen. Uh, and the thing about those mock ups is you'd look at them, and, or I would look at them in Macro Magazine, and I go, Oh, that looks so cool. But then you'd like, But how would that even work? Like, would I really want to type on something that was flat? And this is, again, we're using, like, you know, I was using the Apple Extended Keyboard 2 at this point and saying, Boy, that looks so cool. Imagine, you know, total future worldy thing. But if you think about it, you're like, well, That's weird, though. How would, you know, I don't know if I would like typing on something that looks like a piece of paper. Like, uh, and... How would it be sturdy? You know, how could they make something like that? Obviously, this, these mockups are kind of silly, right? But this is a real thing. Like they they made an actual real thing here. Now, the uh, Apple, Microsoft spent a lot of the presentation talking about. It, this touch keyboard that it has. This touch keyboard is, I forget how thick it is, but it's super thin and the keys are basically flat on it and I don't think they actually move. They're just like little raised regions that you can feel with your fingers and they're pressure sensitive. And you don't Well, aren't there two? Fingers.
1: Aren't there one of them does click and move and the other one doesn't?
0: Yeah. yeah we'll, get, we'll get that. Oh, mind. okay. Patience. All right. All right, so this is the touch keyboard and what they claim in, about the touch keyboard is that it's two times as efficient as what they call typing on glass. But I, But of course, it's not clear what, Typing on glass means. Nor is it particularly clear what two times as efficient means. Like, I guess they measure words per minute or like whatever. Is
1: is that true efficiency when it comes to typing, or are they talking about efficiency of movement?
0: I, I'm. I don't know what they mean. But and the other thing about is typing on glass. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean typing on the iPad yeah. adaptive keyboard, but that like knows what the most likely next letter in a word is going to be and enlarges the hit regions and blah? Or the Android keyboard, which does similar things. So are they talking about just like a straight up dumb? We put a bunch of keys on a on a touch screen on a glass touchscreen and you have to hit them exactly like this. You can't compare it to typing on glass. You have to compare it. Is it better than the Android keyboard? Is it better than the iPad keyboard? Cause those keyboards do crazy sorts of things to make them more efficient. And then, um, uh, ex- more efficient for who experienced typists, more efficient for typists who learned on a typewriter, typists who learned on an iPhone or an iPad. Uh, you know, th- that, that type of marketing stuff, they have to say something about it being, you know, uh, Better or more efficient or whatever. But the fact that they didn't let journalists come and try typing on the keyboard, really, like that's all we're left with is their marketing stuff. So that's all we have to pick apart because they can say whatever they want. And then they say, okay, come to the hands on area. And all the journalists will sit there and try to type on it. And then they'll give their opinion on their websites and say, I tried typing on it. It was just, it was awesome, like they said, or it was kind of like it was on the iPad. I felt faster than the iPad. If it's slower, I put my iPad down next to it and, and tried to compete and this person tried it there and they're an experienced that. Like we don't have any third party input on this. So all we have is their marketing, uh, slogans. And I'm, I'm not sure what to make of those.
1: Why do you think that, the, that it wasn't by now it's become a kind of a, a big deal that they didn't really let anybody, any of the journalists do very much with these things.
0: I don't know. Uh, I mean, the, the easy answer is that the hardware isn't ready. Hardware or software combination isn't ready. Uh, it, se- it sure seemed like the hardware was ready. Maybe the software is not ready because the, they did have that one crash on stage. Yeah. And it wasn't working. Like, they, I mean, they weren't ready to have people mess with it. Well, then
1: that, that begs the question, why do this right now? Yeah, I have that later in the... All right. Yeah, we'll get to it.
0: But that is a good question. It's such a good question that Steve Ballmer himself asked it to himself on stage and then answered it. Or kind of... Or,
1: Kind I mean, of, kind of yeah. answering it,
0: yeah, uh, so as you pointed out, they also have a real keyboard quote unquote real keyboard uh, with keys that move plastic keys, you press them, they move down some amount of distance, and that's how they activate uh, and this is uh, this is the typical uh, this is what Microsoft is doing with the surface, we'll see more and more it's like well, we want to have. Uh, a cool cover type thing with a keyboard on it and we can make it super thin with this touch keyboard and check the acceleration of your fingers as they hit the things and figure out what what, your, what keys you're hitting and stuff like that. But what if we also... Can we also make like a really thin regular keyboard? And instead of making both of them and deciding which one is better, they make, you know, they make both of them and ship both of them. Oh, you don't like the touch keyboard? Well, we got a regular keyboard. All right. I mean, <laughs> it's going to do everything then, I guess. on uh, I think this is true of only the touch keyboard that... The touch keyboards come in, in colors like blue and red or whatever they're like sort of monochromatic, and when you connect it with a magnetic edge thing that should remind you of the smart cover, obviously, uh, the background of the Windows Start screen, whatever you call that thing with little tiles on it, the Windows 8 Start screen changes to match the color of the touch keyboard that you attach, and that's a very whimsical Apple style touch, or actually more of like a Nintendo style touch, so that, you, that your that your thing is color coordinated. If you get a red touchpad and connect it suddenly, when, as soon as you slap the little magnet thing on the background changes red and so they had to put like little magnet sensors in there to be able to commu- or something to communicate that the color is there and I thought that was very cute and clever uh, and these little covers as thin as they look they have stuff in them like even the touch cover even the one that doesn't have the moving keys has accelerometers in it so it can tell when you fold it back on itself so it can deactivate the keyboard so you're not like accidentally hitting the, the keys with your hands when it's wrapped around the back and you're squeezing the keyboard uh, lots, of, lots of very clever stuff in this so around the back of the pad itself, which we haven't talked about much yet, but like it looks like an iPad. It's more 16 by 9. It's, it's wider and thinner uh, than the iPad. But other than that, it looks like a big black thing. I mean, there's only so much variation you can make in, in like a 10-inch size tablet. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is it has an integrated kickstand, as they call it. Uh, and they spent a long time talking about the kickstand as well. It's basically like the bottom half of the back of the thing has a thin sheet that folds out. And so then you can lean it back on itself. Uh, and it props the thing up. It, I'm almost certain that it props the thing up at a 22-degree angle, but I don't want to commit to that. But I'm going to guess. It's probably a 22-degree angle. Uh, and they emphasize that, like, oh, so you don't have to buy an extra accessory or a case or anything like that. Just the, the thin thing, the way it is, it, this thing is on the back. You don't even see it when it's not there, and you fold it out, and it's just so super thin. It comes out, and it's really sturdy, and it props your thing up. And they kept talking about how it feels to close this flap, on this kickstand flap on the back of it. They said it closes like a high-end car door. So I guess they're big hypercritical fans and have been listening to my past episodes <laughs> Right. I emphasize, I emphasize the uh, uh, what it feels like to use various hardware devices and how that, that communicates something about the product in, in a conscious or unconscious way to the consumer. Uh, not in a particularly logical or rational way, but it just does. And I talked a lot about... The, the internal controls on car stereos and the turn signals and wiper stalks and, and car doors where, you know, when you close the, a door on a car, you want it to make that satisfying, solid feeling whoomp. You don't want it to be rattly or tinny or shaky or just make the wrong sound. And uh they said they, they iterated on this little kickstand thing by actually bringing it into one of those anechoic chambers where they can do, this time measuring the sound, where they can just close it and listen to what the sound looks like and just keep iterating on that hinge until the sound sounded right, which means nothing like... It, wouldn't you Yeah, you know, don't you want it to be sturdy and don't you want it to, to not break and to prop the thing up and to not be slippery and to, like I'm sure all those things are tested as well but they also tested we want it to sound good not that it makes the thing any better because it makes the user of the product feel better and they use the car door analogy because I think that's the one most people are familiar with like because people go shopping for car doors and it's like you're supposed to kick the tires close the car door and see how it sounds um, so uh, that that's very interesting that, the, that Microsoft A did this like spent its time iterating on intangibles or touchy-feely stuff that uh, they were not that interested in the past. And B, that they decided not only are we going to do all that, we're going to talk about it, which is totally an Apple thing to do, where they do something on their product, and they don't just want to like sell you the Retina MacBook Pro and have you notice that the fan noise is a little bit different and less annoying. Maybe you wouldn't even notice it at all. They want to tell you about how when we were making this, we wanted the fan noise to be nicer. And here's what we did. And so we can all ooh and ahh about like, that type of thing works because having a laptop that makes a more pleasing fan noise sound makes the user feel better. But for your rabid fans who are watching your keynote, telling them about how you, about that, that was your goal and this is how you did it. And here are the technical details. Makes the person who gets that laptop feel even better about the fact that their fan noise sounds slightly different. Uh, This probably sounds like fanboy stuff that people who don't like Apple or don't like people being enthusiastic. It sounds like a fanboy type of thing. But Microsoft is pulling the exact same move. And I think it's I think it's a good move. I think if you do something really smart and I like I think this is a real phenomenon where consumers do feel differently based on these totally pointless, uh, you know, not pointless, but seemingly pointless for the people who are just interested in specs and stuff. These these attributes of a product really do make a difference, and people can deny they make a difference and make fun of people who who like this kind of a difference. But everybody does this. Like we're we're all susceptible to these qualities, whether we want to admit it or not. And so I like the fact that Microsoft is concentrating on them and then talking about them. That was very exciting for me. Uh, speaking of twenty two degree angle, when the thing is in the little kickstand mode, which by the way, on, in the on their website in their little gallery it's always shown like this is always shown open like a laptop with the the keyboard thing sticking out the front of it the kickstand down and the thing tilted out in landscape mode uh the kickstand only works in landscape mode or is only supposed to work in landscape mode you might be able to sort of balance it in portrait but the thing is always shown in landscape mode uh, and that's you know the kickstand is not meant to hold up the other way and when it's in that kickstand mode there's a camera on the back of it of course because you know why wouldn't there be and a camera on the front uh and the camera on the back is angled I, I, so that when if you prop, if you put it on like a table uh, and you turn the back camera on, you don't see like the the table in front of you. It's not aimed down at 22 degrees. It's tilted up so that the camera seems like it's basically level, or maybe even tilted upward a little bit, so the camera can actually show the people who are across from you at the table, even though the surface tablet itself is tilted away from you. Uh, that that seems pretty darn clever because if they're if they're telling everybody, oh, you're going to use always use it in this mode. The back camera would be useless if it was just pointing out perpendicular to the back surface of the thing. Angling it makes it, oh, so, you know, you don't have to like, oh, let me pick this up so you can see the guys in the rest of the room No, you can always see them. Uh, that's very clever until you're holding the Surface tablet up like an iPad. Uh, and in that case, it might be kind of hard, hard to aim where the camera is because you're expecting when you're holding it, you're expecting the camera to be, you know, pointed exactly out perpendicular to the, the back surface so you can aim it, but it's actually tilted up a little bit. A motor-adjusted camera would have been even more clever and more futuristic and probably more prone to break and more expensive and all those other things as well. Uh, but a straight camera is certainly less surprising. So I think this is expressing the difference between how Apple expects people to use the iPad and how Microsoft expects people to use the Surface. Apple expects people to hold the iPad, and the, the camera coming straight out the back is totally the what the people holding the iPad expect. And yes, we all make fun of people when we see them do it, but people do it like crazy. They hold up their iPads and they take pictures with it. Uh, I've done it myself. It happens. You've got a camera. You've got a device. Uh, you hold it up. You take a picture. It happens. I see it at like concerts and stuff. People <laughs> do it. WWDC people are doing it. Yeah. right? So if it's going to be a device that you hold, the camera should come out of the way. But this one, if it's going to be used like a laptop, they've decided to optimize for that case.
1: And we better do our first sponsor getting uh, off schedule. Good idea. Getharvest.com. Harvest. These guys, they do time tracking. And their whole philosophy is that time tracking should be easy because, John, come on, nobody likes tracking time. You've got to probably track time for your stuff. You probably should start tracking time for your, uh, for your article so you can figure out exactly how long it takes. If you manage a team, if you have employees, if they're in the office or if they're remote, you still have to accurately track their time. And that's what Harvest is all about. But it doesn't stop there. Once you have their time, great. Now you've got to go through and figure out, no, you don't. They have powerful reports that let you analyze the time. You can look at it by project. You can look at it by task. You can look at it by uh, contractor or employee. And by the way, it knows the difference between contractors and employees. This is great. It's even great if you're just one person and you just want to track your own time on a variety of different projects. Why? Because you need to confidently bill your time, making accurate invoices, helping you manage your clients so that you know what you're working on and when and how that splits up when it comes time to invoice. This is really important stuff, even if you are just one person or if you have 50 people on your team. And what's really cool about these guys is that they get that not everybody works the same way. So they've come up with a whole bunch of really cool add-ons. They integrate with the apps that you use. You use Google Apps? Yeah, they integrate with that. Basecamp, Highrise, Zendesk, QuickBooks, you name it. And they also have some really cool apps that will help you out. For example, they have an iOS app. They have an Android app. They have a widget that'll run in Mac OS X. They have a Windows widget. And they also have an app called Harvest for Mac. This is a really lightweight app that has these global hotkeys. You can start and stop your time. And it's smart enough to know that you're idle. So if you get up and walk away from your computer and you come back, it's gonna know that that was idle time and that wasn't time uh, that you should necessarily bill your client for. Really, really great tools. Really easy to connect with Harvest. And uh, you guys should check them out. We use them here at 5 by 5 and there's a, a lot of people that I know that just love using this getharvest.com you can go there to learn more make sure you tell them we sent you thanks very much to Harvest for making the show possible
0: as I think I've mentioned before I have actually occasionally tried to calculate how many hours I spent writing these reviews and then calculated what, uh, what my hourly rate for them is and it was very depressing <laughs> a lot of, lot of work the last time it was, I think it was below minimum wage but do you like, do
1: it because you love it
0: that's right all right, so on the the kickstand and the, the touch cover, or, or I think that's what they're calling it, the touch cover or the keyboard cover with the with the moving keys, it's kind of an interesting contrast between integrated kickstand plus touch cover versus Apple Smart Cover. All right, now it's obvious that the touch cover is inspired by Apple Smart Cover. It's got the magnetic thing attached to the spine. It's a thin thing that goes in the front. Obviously, Apple Smart Cover does not have a keyboard on it. Uh, now, the Smart Cover serves two functions. It covers up... The front of your screen, so it doesn't get scratched or whatever. And if you fold it up in this little origami thing behind, it can be a little stand for your thing. Uh, the kickstand is almost certainly a better stand than the, the, the smart cover. Like it's not not just because it's built in, but just I'm saying like it's it seems like it would be sturdier. It's it, it seems like it st- extends out farther. It's, it looks like it's very solid and connected to the device. It's not kind of the squishy bendable thing folded into a triangle with magnets holding it together. Uh, the touch cover may be a better cover than the smart cover. Certainly having a keyboard built in is a big advantage. So, I mean, maybe it's just a complete victory just because, like, well, the smart cover has no keyboard, for it. Therefore, win for the touch cover. <laughs> uh, but, you know, my, my complaint about the smart cover is that it's supposed to, like, clean the screen, but because it has to have those thin sections so it can fold up into the little triangle section to double as a stand, those thin sections don't touch the screen, so it cleans the screen in stripes and leaves these dirty, greasy things down the middle of your screen where it doesn't quite touch and clean. And yes, many people suggested, they keep suggesting, take the smart cover off, fold it up into a triangle, use it to squeeze your screen. I don't like that. Don't like it. And I don't like concentrating the finger grease into a particular area. I don't like the finger grease going into the, the smart cover at all. I don't know. Uh, but speaking of finger grease, what about the touch cover where you're typing and you're getting your finger grease all over the keycaps and then you're folding those keycaps up against the screen? as anyone who owned, I think it was the Pismo uh, PowerBooks and a few of the other ones where, actually, I think it was in, was even some of the MacBooks like this, I don't remember. But Apple used to have a problem where when you close their laptops, the keycaps would touch the screen and deposit little pieces, uh, little parts of the finger grease from the keycaps onto the screen, so when you opened it up, you'd see all these little marks in sort of a grid pattern like the keys. Yeah, I had and, to, I had
1: that laptop, and it was, and of course, this is back in the day when any kind of physical contact with the screen was was just bad news they were very difficult to clean they would be on matte displays i mean they were very you touch the screen and that smudge is going to be there forever
0: and i think there was also like they'd be pressing into the screen so some of it might have been even been a little dense (laughs) in the the plastic did you have one of those no i've never been a laptop person my wife was the the only person who in this family who started bringing laptops into the house yeah i had
1: the the bronze keyboard one and the one the, the one right before that was the wall street
0: yeah and so here we Love have another case where there's a <laughs> keyboard being pressed against a screen. And this keyboard probably presses against even more because the tops of these keys really are totally flat, like they're not indented or anything like that. And, yeah. uh, and I don't know what material is made out of it. Maybe it, it would be more likely to absorb finger grease than... I don't know. So this is another question that's out there about the, the touch cover or the keyboard cover. You're going to fold this against the screen. How is it going to do? So, But I think it's a weird situation where Apple has the... Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none thing. And Microsoft had decided to go with two more special purpose devices a dedicated stand built into the device. It's so important, it should be built in. Don't try to make our cover into some crazy thing that also doubles as a stand. Uh, and also because the cover, their, but their cover doubles as a keyboard. And so you can't use it as a stand. Uh, I, I don't know how that, how that stacks up. I think, I think it basically expresses the, the two different ways that these things are expected to be used by their various creators. Clearly, the Microsoft one is expected to be used more like a laptop, and so it's uh, they needed two separate products where Apple got away with just having one or none, because of course the iPad is not everyone even buys a smart cover for the iPad. Um, and on this touch cover thing, they kept talking about the manufacturing, which again is another totally Apple move where they you know show their factories and show they they had these exploded diagrams showing this stuff. They're using some pretty amazing uh, manufacturing technology in these things. Like the, the touch cover is seven layers, seven layers of stuff to make this keyboard thing work but it's only three millimeters thick seven layers and three millimeters you can you know calculate how big each one of those layers are and it's got like four sensors on there and it's not you know there's actually active electronics inside this thing it's, it's it seems pretty impressive again it looks like the future uh, they have uh, they showed a demo where uh, you could rest your hands on the keys and it wouldn't register keystrokes and they they emphasized that like if you rest if you rest your hands on a on a touchscreen, on an iPad keyboard or any other you know, uh, glass screen, obviously it's going to register a bunch of key presses. You can't touch it at all. Uh, and they said you know, touch typing is easier when you can rest your fingers on the home keys. I'm not a correct touch typist. I don't have to look at the keyboard when I type, but I don't type the right way. But for people who do and actually use the home keys and rest their fingers on it, uh, that's, that could be a real advantage. The, the main advantage I see it is in, in terms of RSI, it's very bad to have your, keep your fingers poised above a surface it's much more comforting to relax your tendons and have your fingers resting. Like, you know, they're not hitting keys, but it's better than just keeping them, you know, poised on top of something, sort of static contraction of all your muscles, you know, waiting on top. of it. It's very, very bad for you. So this seems like it could be better for, you know, typing in that environment. Uh, the case itself, they emphasize it's made of magnesium. They called it vapor mag because they melt the magnesium and then injection molded. it. And I don't know if it, does it ever change to a vapor. Maybe it does change to a vapor at some point. And maybe it's like they superheat it and then squirt it into a mold and then it uh, forms that shape. Uh, Apple, as we all know, has been using machined aluminum. That's their big thing that they've been iterating on for the past few years. with they get a big block of aluminum, they put it into this computer-controlled milling machine, and it, and it precisely shaves away all the aluminum that doesn't look like David, right? And then you end up with <laughs> you end up with the the, the the cases that you know for their iPads and for their unibody MacBooks and uh, all that other stuff. Uh, and for the mac pro i guess they're they're not machining they're still just bending wouldn't uh,
1: that be amazing if they took one giant block of aluminum the way the
0: mac pros are priced it seems like they should be doing that <laughs> right you know, it's three thousand dollars for a two-year-old <laughs> <laughs> computer yeah it, you better be machining that i want to see tons of waste <laughs> aluminum shavings <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh and th- this is this is an interesting contrast i mean uh I have one magnesium computer, I have an X-Cube. Uh, and there have been magnesium computers before the X-Cube, so this is not a, a new thing. And I think actually parts of the book, the Titanium uh, PowerBook G4, internally use magnesium. I think Apple hasn't used magnesium for internal parts for lightness and strength reasons for a while. But this entire case on the surface is magnesium, like the external case. Uh, and it has advantages of being very light and very strong, and of course their technique of injection molding it lets them make very fine details. The the contrast here between machining aluminum is that I think I'm pretty familiar with aluminum, and I think we all are of like its its particular properties. Like, it basically comes down to like denting versus flexing. Uh, Aluminum can dent. Like, for everyone who has dropped (laughs) one of their aluminum Apple devices, you know, is that, uh, that it it will bend and come back. But at a certain point, you bend it too much, it stays that way, and you get a dent, right? versus magnesium tends not to dent. It will flex and spring back. And the opposite side of that is cracking versus bending and denting. Magnesium brought to, you know, you bend it, it will spring back to its original shape, but you bend it too much, instead of staying permanently bent like that, when you bend aluminum too much, it will crack. Uh, So I'm not sure. I, I think you'd have to do some actual materials testing to see what's better for a portable device. Is it better to have... Something that will bend and then its failure mode is that it dents, or is it better to have something that will bend and always spring back up to a point at which point it cracks, like kind of kind the of glass back on the, uh, the on Apple's phones? And I, I assume that the next Apple phone will not have a glass back, uh, just because it, like glass is the same way. Gorilla glass will bend up to a point, but then it just shatters. And I, I don't think magnesium will shatter, but I think it's more likely to crack than aluminum. So it'd be interesting to see the first person to get the surface. Maybe they'll do like a drop test. Uh, I, both of these things have a glass screen on the front, so it's kind of a moot point because if you drop it from another, like the screen's going to go first before the back of the case anyway. Uh, I would really like to feel one of these in my hands and see what it feels like. They they really emphasized that they thought it felt great, and I think it might. Uh, so they don't just have one Surface here. They have one with an ARM processor and one with an Intel processor because, again, it's like well, you know they couldn't decide. Uh, touch keyboard, keyboard with real keys. Let's ship them both. ARM tablet, tablet with an Intel processor. Let's ship both. Why not? uh
1: are you sa- i mean are you saying that this is bad because it sends a confusing message to consumers as opposed to giving them a choice it's not like there's 20 different kinds there's just there's just two
0: it's it's kind of like the the no compromises type of thing like this it seems like they don't really have a,
1: vi- a single vision of how people are supposed to use this
0: well, they do have a vision of how people are going to use the devices, but they it, these moves seem risk-averse. Mm. Like, all right, so we want to have a keyboard, and we have these two different ways of doing it. And we can't decide which one is better, so we'll give them choice. Like, we don't want to take the risk of, like, oh, we all think the touch keyboard is better, but really when we ship it, consumers hate it, and it suddenly gets a bad reputation, like Newton handwriting recognition, and we can never live it down. And it's just like, oh, Microsoft Surface, but that stupid keyboard, you know. Remember the chiclet keyboard from whatever computer first shipped that thing? And that phrase, even though no one, including me, remembers which computer it came from, is always like, "Oh, it's a keyboard that I don't like the feel of that has little flat keys, right?" And so they, you know, it's it seems like, oh, this is risk averse. You know, Microsoft is risk averse. We want to avoid risk at all costs. Just ship them both. That way, if someone doesn't like an interview, they can say, oh, "But I tried the other keyboard and it was better," and you know, and vice versa. Uh, but trying to do everything and trying to be everything to all people is, is itself a pretty big risk. That's the the danger with being risk averse is you know you think by providing options and stuff you are avoiding risk but really you may end up just not satisfying anybody and it's not so much about consumer confusion it's that it it, it shows a lack of confidence and it shows uh, you know it's a le- there's less clarity of vision uh, in in what it is you want like you want to have a simple strong powerful message that you can that you can push on the public and they kind of do but they hedge in all sorts of weird ways here like it's like it's like if, if microsoft can't decide which one of these kinds of keyboards is better how are we supposed to because they've had like months and months and they've been working on them and iterating them and testing them and blah blah blah. how is the consumer supposed to pick they're just going to pick based on superstition or what their friends say or something like that like isn't it up to the company making the product to decide what they think the best approach is and it doesn't mean you have to be like apple and say like oh that's because, you know apple its best approach is uh, no keyboard, right? But there's tons of third-party keyboards. Like it's, it, it, you're not saying you have to. We have to decide this is how a keyboard should work with the surface. And people can always make third-party keyboards, and so you know consumers will still have choice. It's just that you want to say this is what our vision of the surface is, and if you don't like it, then buy a third-party keyboard or do whatever you want. Uh, and so same thing with the ARM and Intel. Well, this is even much much more far-reaching than that. Uh, a different kind of hedge where uh, the ARM one won't run uh, traditional applications. From, you know, x86 applications and Windows. And that's been Microsoft. That's what Microsoft has built its company on. Backward compatibility with Intel processors and all the applications that have been created over the years. And the ARM one just won't run those. It'll run an ARM version of Microsoft Office, I believe. But other third-party applications won't run. this. no emulation or anything. Whereas the Intel one is basically like a MacBook Air competitor. Uh, and that's starting to to diverge even more. It's like, okay, so is this an iPad competitor or is it a MacBook Air competitor? It's both. It's a floor wax and a dessert topping. And it dilutes, it dilutes the strength of the message. Uh, again, I don't think it's about consumer confusion, although that's what people keep hammering on. Like, People go into the store and they're going to say they want a Microsoft Surface. How will they know which one to get? Like, it'll, I think it's easy to differentiate in the store. I don't think people can be confused about what they get. They consumers may not know which one they will find the most useful in the same way that a consumer may not know, oh, should, should I get an iPad or a MacBook Air? No one's confused about whether an iPad is a MacBook Air or vice versa. But people can be confused about, geez, what do I need? Do I need a super light laptop or do I need an iPad? Well, they don't really run the same apps, but some apps kind of look the same and sometimes it's a Mac version. And it's the same exact thing. Like the, the, the problem for consumers is deciding in this transitional period where we're in, do I need a full-fledged laptop or do I not? It just so happens Microsoft's two products satisfying these two camps happen to have the same name and a lot of the same design elements, but the decision is the same. And I don't really blame uh, Microsoft for that. I blame them for not clearly emphasizing what the Microsoft Surface is because Apple totally emphasizes this is the iPad and this is the Mac. Maybe they just maybe if they had just given them different names like Surface and, you know, Ultrabook, but not really an Ultrabook. I don't know. Think of a name for it. And and not because of confusion, but just just in terms of messaging. Like, what is this company about? We believe that the future is X. We believe that the future is Y. Microsoft believes that the future is a tablet that does everything. And, you know, it's a little bit weird. Uh, They emphasize the clear type display. I thought this was fun. Clear type was was Microsoft's word for the thing they would do sub-pixel anti-aliasing with, where they would just turn on the red element or the green element or the blue element to get a thinner virtual pixel on the edges of letters but I don't think that's what they mean when they see clear type now because what they, how they explain clear type in the presentation was, I can't distinguish pixels at a normal viewing distance. This sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> Is it, like, I can't, that was kind of shameless. Like, I don't know what they can do. I mean, we're, obviously, we're all getting screens with smaller pixels. Like, I don't blame... You know, it's going to happen to every piece of electronics we own, obviously, right? But I think the first person to popularize screens like that gets to name it right? And the second person, they should just say, and here's the resolution of our screen and the pixels are really small and it looks great. They don't have to come up with a name too. It's a clear type display. That's what we call it when you can't see the pixels anymore, normal viewing distances. But isn't that just competitive
1: business? I mean, every, you look at, you go back to your, your car companies, you know, they, they, all, they all come up with some special little name for, you know, the feature that locks the doors when you drive away. They all have their own little
0: yeah, but, but like we've long since stopped paying attention to, you know, what, what it's called, you know, uh, super handling all wheel drive or, you know, pause traction to use a older example. Like we don't even pay attention to those names. Like, does, do you know what the, what the stability control system is called on a BMW versus a Mercedes versus an Acura? Like they all have a name for their stability control system and the names are nonsensical and no one remembers them and they're not a marketing advantage at all. Because like the first person they come up with. Uh, you know, th- that system, maybe that name stood out, but now it's just like, it's a series of names Then we have, to, oh yeah, that's what they call stability control. Like, we've all decided what the generic name is. Thank God that didn't happen with Anti-Lock brakes because we got a generic name, Anti-Lock brakes, and everyone just uses that. They don't feel the need to come up with some stupid name that we have to translate in our hand to Anti-Lock brakes. And I'm not saying Microsoft should have used Retina. I just don't think that's the thing to emphasize. Like, accentuate the things that are, uh, that differentiate you. And having a different name for Retina both of which by the way like I don't know what we're going to use as the generic name we've all just been saying retina because we're in the apple world but I wonder what regular consumer like eventually it will just mean nothing because it'll be like oh it has a screen cuz they'll all be <laughs> I mean all the screens will be like that it's just inevitable so that was a little bit silly uh so the intel version of this thing has a core i5 processor at 22 nanometers so they can jam it into this little skinny package here and not have it uh melt the thing uh, and it, it clearly challenges the MacBook Air like that's how it's positioned and I think on the specs, it's, it's a reasonable challenge to the MacBook Air. Uh, now, the MacBook Air strikes me as a much more solid unit. Like the hinge is going to be better than that little floppy magnetic hinge. The MacBook Air keyboard is going to be way better than any of the touch keyboards, I can almost guarantee. Uh, it's, it's just a sturdier unit type thing. But, of course, you can't use the MacBook Air as a tablet. Uh, I talked about this in a Macworld article years ago that you know so apple's got ios and it's got the macbook air they could combine these two into something that looks like a macbook air but when you fold the keyboard back around the back of the thing it acts like a tablet uh, and my suggestion was that you could build this on x86 because ios already runs on x86 whenever and whenever any developer is developing an x code and they're running in the simulator that's ios running on x86 it's not like something that apple needs to make they ha- they have it right now right and my suggestion which i admitted was totally on apple like and that apple would probably never do but uh, would be neat is when you flap the keyboard back around, it basically is running you know, the iOS simulator, uh, which again is not emulation. It's actually way faster than running iOS on the actual device. It's native x86 code running on your, your uh, MacBook Air. And that would be the distinction. It would be to- two totally different operating environments. Flap the keyboard back, you're in iOS. Put it back down, you're in macOS 10. And that's schizophrenic and crazy and would probably be annoying or whatever but i'm saying like technically all the pieces are there to do that well microsoft has basically created that device only they don't switch os's when you flap the keyboard back and down. they have something that's basically a macbook air with this weird keyboard thing only uh you know a touch keyboard or even skinnier one with the guts behind the screen and when you flap the keyboard back it's a tablet and when you pull the thing down it's like it's kind of like a macbook air with a floppy thing and a stand and a hinge that doesn't quite keep it uh, and this is not a new idea. People have been thinking about this concept for a long time, but Microsoft actually built it. And I think they did one better than my crazy non-Apple-like notion for an Apple-type thing because they don't switch OSs. They have one OS that's they're they're going to make span both these environments for better or for worse. But at the very least, you know, there's no confusing user experience where you're in two different operating systems. Uh, of course, to make this work, here's, here's what
1: you said imagine a new laptop about the size of a macbook air but with a keyboard that can fold back on itself leaving just a slim touch sensitive screen visible further imagine that this laptop ships with a version of mac os 10 that includes the ability to purchase download and run any ios application written for the ipad now you've got the best of both worlds a light fully capable mac laptop when you need all the power it provides in a slightly bulky bulky but screamingly fast ipad when you don't maybe apple is just, i mean microsoft is just reading your article
0: yeah again that's not a new idea but it's uh, yeah, it, it, this is you back
1: it, in August of 2010.
0: Yeah, they've, they've actually built this thing now <laughs> to get a core i5 into a tablet form factor. Uh, something's got to give at some point is battery life what gave. We don't know. We don't have, we don't have any information on that like just vague promises. I don't even know if they mentioned much about it. Uh, but you have the problem of how to get the heat out of there. Right. And we all know that the iPad 3 gets hot and that's just got a, a you know an R little ARM processor in there, right? They're putting an Intel processor in there, integrated GPU, the whole and yet it is twenty-two nanometers. It's the, the lowest power, you know, smallest one they can get. But the heat's gotta go somewhere. So they emphasized and we have perimeter venting. Their big thing was if we put vent somewhere on this thing, what if your hand is blocking it? Then the thing's gonna overheat and we're all gonna be sad, right? So they made the entire back panel of the thing look like it's kind of floating like there's a gap between the back panel and the rest of the device. And so the air can come out any part of any part of the back. So unless you cover every single piece of all the edges of the entire perimeter, hot air can still get back out. Uh, it's kind of ugly to have a big gap around. It's kind of like panel gaps in a car, getting back to more car analogies. There's a gigantic panel gapper. I mean, it's not gigantic. I'm sure it's very small, but it's around the entire outside of the device. Uh, and Apple is usually really good about hiding its vents. Like, on the MacBook Airs and even on the big MacBooks, they tend to want to... They put very big vents in, but they try to, want to hide them all in the hinge area, right? So you can't see them when you're sitting there and looking at the thing. Now, the Retina MacBook Pro is a rare exception. A lot of people commented about this. Like, oh, did you see the vents? How unsightly. Apple put vents in there. You know, the, Mac, the, the Retina MacBook Pro has really big hot things inside it, and apparently the vents in the keyboard hinge was not enough, and so there's a little bit of intake vents in the side. Little tiny slots there, but it's kind of like, hmm... You know, Apple had to compromise its aesthetics to get these vents, and I'm sure Johnny uh, was pained by having to cut little slices into the side of his beautiful side of his beautiful machine to uh, to provide the air. But that's just the reality of uh, Intel-based uh, products at this point. Uh, the other the other thing is like, okay, so this is perimeter venting. Is it going to be blowing hot air on your hands? Are you going to feel? <laughs> is there a fan in there or anything, or is it just kind of like your hands slowly get warm and you're not sure why? Uh, yeah, Microsoft said you won't even feel it. Uh, you, you know, the air is coming out or going into all the sides, and you won't even feel it. Maybe you don't feel it. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see on that. But they are clearly pushing the limits there. Uh, and so, speaking of doing everything, of course, of course, this thing has a stylus. Why would why wouldn't yeah. it have a stylus? Uh, because I mean Microsoft has a long history with Pen Basin, but they have ten windows pen windows or whatever the hell it was called, and they just like so many different versions of drawing with little silos on windows based things, and they tried to make tablets for years based on pens, and no one wanted them, but damn it they 're going to give you a pen I mean, and the iPad has third party pens and everything, but Apple's clearly saying you don 't need a pen for this device, and Microsoft's saying, "No, please take a pen we're going to sell a pen there's a place for a pen to clip onto this thing, you know you want a pen here 's a pen yeah, I mean why why not why not yeah. And they, they, they've got all the guts. for I mean, if you think about it, even macOS 10 has that ink feature. Like, we all forget that it exists, but if you buy a third-party tablet, you can do this inking feature thing. I think it's still on macOS 10. If you connect a tablet, a little ink preference pane pops up in system preferences, right? So Microsoft has that baked into their operating system as well, but they're promoting it to, for use with this thing. Uh, and so the, the, the demo, the f- very first demo they gave was not promising. Like, they... The guy takes out his stylus. He's got the thing in his hand. He's, he's like trying to be on camera, standing up, trying, you know, you're trying to demonstrate handwriting on a tablet so cameras can see it. It's awkward. It's not a great situation. Uh, and he goes to, he, you know, he zooms in on a certain area of the page and he goes to write on it. And as he goes to write on it, he rests his hand on the screen and that causes the screen <laughs> to zoom and move. So the place where he was going to write is now not on screen anymore. And he fixes it and continues. Right. <laughs> not not an auspicious start there. Uh, of course, there's the famous Steve Jobs quote, which I looked for. And everyone has this exact wording, but I don't know if it's an accurate quote because I couldn't find the audio. If there was audio, it says, "If you see a stylus, they blew it." That's his famous take on uh, portable devices like the iPad uh, or the iPhone or anything like that. If you see a stylus, they blew it. They that means they couldn't they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out how to get it done. Uh, and sort of the deification of Steve Jobs that you know everything he said now takes on great import. Or even when he was alive, it was the same thing. Uh, there's lots of anti-stylus sentiment. In, in Jobs coming from a couple of obvious places. The, the the first is the Newton, which, you know, as we all know, had a stylus and it was notorious for its handwriting recognition not being good. Steve Jobs, I think, has referred to it derisively as a scribble pad. Uh, the Newton was John Scully's baby and John Scully is the Apple CEO brought in by Steve Jobs and then who Jobs blames for his eventual ouster from the company. Right. And Jobs does not forgive easily and holds grudges and is generally <laughs> a cranky and small person when it comes to things like this in some ways. So he really, yeah, why does he hate the Newton? Is it, does he hate the Newton because he hates John Scully and that's why he hates styluses? Or does he just hate styluses because they're a bad idea? It's hard to disentangle those things. Uh, Apple's also supposed to supposedly tried to buy Palm at one point. I don't know if that was a rumor or ever confirmed or whatever. Uh, and Palm is another famous stylus using company that famously figured out how to make stylus input work. By being dumber than the, like the Newton had these all these, you know, super smart computer scientists trying to figure out how to recognize natural handwriting. And the Palm people said, well, we can't do that. We'll just make them write this funny alphabet. And that tend, er, turned out to work way better. And so Palm was a successful company that Apple was at various points probably jealous of because, you know, we have the Newton. We have the real smart people. Uh, why is this stupid Palm thing succeeding? You know, it, succeeded because it was smaller, cheaper. It actually worked better. Uh, it was just a better design. And I think Apple tried to buy them. And that obviously didn't work out. And so maybe that's another reason there's some anti-stylus sentiment within Apple. But the explanation could just be the jobs thinks that styluses don't make for a good user experience. It's much nicer just to pick the thing up and use your hands on it than it is to like, pick the thing up, fit over the stylus, lose the stylus, try to draw it in on the screen, stuff like that. Uh, and capacitive touchscreens in particular, those are the touchscreens on Apple's devices. They're a glass screen. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't sense the pressure that you're pressing on the screen because the glass doesn't flex when you touch it. Right? They, they're sensing that there's some water-filled meat bag touching the thing, you know. Uh, they are particularly stylus unfriendly for the reasons we just saw in the demo. Because when you write, you tend to rest your hand like you put on a piece of paper for leverage, and as soon as your hand touches a capacitive touch screen, the capacitive touch screen says, oh, someone's touching over there. <laughs> you know, it's not that as, soon as, as soon as your little fleshy palm, speaking of Craig Hockenberry, as soon as your fleshy palm touches that screen, it, it senses it. Uh, now, a stylus can apply concentrated pressure to a, an individual point. So it's, it's much easier to distinguish from a resting hand or, or like a light touch because, you know, if you had a pressure-sensitive screen, it's like, oh, the stylus is clearly over here because here I have an intense, very concentrated pressure point, and here, over here I have kind of a vague, spread-out light pressure type of thing. So that's, you know, I'll ignore that pressure and I'll just concentrate on the stylus. But that only works on a pressure-sensitive display. Capacitive touch screens activate the second you touch them. They don't deform when you, when you press into them. Uh, now, we've moved from pressure-sensitive pressure touchscreens like on the Palm devices and the Newton and stuff to capacitive ones because capacitive ones are much nicer to use. With touch, you don't have to press. You don't have to deform the screen. Deforming the screen repeatedly also tends to wear it out. That means you can make the screen out of glass, which is much more durable and easy to clean than, than plastic, which can get you know dinged up and scratched and dented and just all gross over time. And so capacitive touchscreens are great for everything except for styluses because styluses it, being able to distinguish the tip of that stylus from your hand is much easier on a precious sensitive screen. But, of course, MS, you know, my, MS, Microsoft, they want to do it all, a, as usual. Uh, and so Microsoft ha, ha, has addressed this issue. Just, I mean, it's so bad. Like, the very first thing he does with, with the pen, it happens to him. And later in the presentation, he's like, uh, we have integrated into Windows palm block technology, which is a funny name, admittedly, that the, the blocks the operating system, from doing something bad when your when your palm touches it, palm block technology. is basically they said we have two digitizers. They call them that are figuring out where you're pressing. One is for the capacitive for the capacitive touch screen, and a separate one for what they call ink. And so the, their pen is an active device. I think it actually even has batteries. And the second digitizer can sense the proximity of the pen to the surface. And when that pen tip gets close to the surface, the the operating system is supposed to disable capacitive touch input. So as soon as you start getting that pen towards the thing, when you rest your palm, it's like, okay, well, the capacitive touchscreen would sense that, but palm block has been activated. Now touch sensing and the capacitive thing is, is totally gone and we're just sensing the tip of that thing. Obviously, it doesn't work quite the way they want it to because, you know, they had a little fumble with it. Maybe it's still, they're still working on it. But inherently, it's kind of like an AI problem. Like, what is the intention of this person? They don't know what you're trying to do, right? They just know what their sensors detect. So I can imagine it being frustrating if you're writing something with ink and then you want to tap an OK button with your pinky, but you're doing it with the same hand that has the pen in it and the pen tip just happens to be too close to the screen deactivating touch and your thing has the machine frozen. And you try to tap it again and try to tap again. Each time you try to tap it, you're bringing the pen tip that's again in the <laughs> same hand. You know, it's it's a hard problem. It's a hard problem for even a human to figure out what it is you want to do. So they're, you know, they're going to try to have the best of both worlds and we'll see how how that works out for them. Yeah, I think there is a, a battery in the pen. because it says they have a, a magnetic charging connector that they connect the pen to. Maybe, maybe there's maybe that's just the, the charging connector for the entire surface, and the pen happens to connect to it because it's, a mag, it's it happens to be a handy magnet place. I don't know. Uh, someone can send me some follow-up of whether there are actually active electronics or batteries in that pen. Hey,
1: let's do uh, our second uh, second sponsor. All right, final sponsor Squarespace. John, do you you don't you don't have a website, do you really? Not really. Kind of. Where is it? Where can where can we go to see that?
0: Is com my website? Can, can I claim that as my website? Yeah, I mean that I think of it as yours. Yeah, it's a, yeah.
1: okay. So you've besides ours, you don't have like a personal one. I'm a really.
0: Tumblr.
1: Tumblr. Okay. Well you could be using Squarespace uh, for your website when you decide to launch one. Because I know you will. Eventually we'll get you hypercritical.com. You can start it up as a Squarespace site. I love Squarespace. I'm using it for for five by five. I use it for, uh, for Big Week and uh, another project that I'm working on that you guys will see soon. Uh, but what is it? It's, it's everything you need to create an amazing website. It doesn't matter if it's a blog. It doesn't matter if it's a portfolio. It doesn't matter if it's just a website for your company. Squarespace will help you do whatever you need. Why? Because they, have, they, they do all the hosting. They scale it. They have analytics built in, real-time analytics. They've got 24-7 support if you run into a problem. You get full control over the content, full control over the site customization. You can, from, from start to finish, you can get one of these things up and running in, in minutes. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name when you do that. And uh, you're going to get more discounts along the way. You get 20% off when you sign up for a year. And if you use the code DANSENTME6, number six, you'll get 10% off whatever you do, whatever you sign up for. Uh, They have these amazing templates, over 85 of them, professionally designed templates for you to pick from. They've got a really, really cool iOS application, hand built from the ground up, that includes the statistics. It includes the ability to post, moderate comments, all of that stuff built in. And they'll even import your old blog. You get something on Movable Type, you got WordPress, Typepad, Blogger, whatever it is. Boom, import it one step. You can try this thing out free for 14 days. Takes you like 30 seconds to get going, no commitment. And they also, something, John, something you'll like, you love the feedback, they have the built-in form and data collection stuff. You just compose it. it Here are hear the fields I'd like to, to request. Boom. It's done. Integrates with Twitter, integrates with Facebook. Anyway, you guys should just go check this out. And if you're a developer, if you look at Squarespace and say, ah, this is too simple, this won't do what I want, it, actually it might. You can go to developers.squarespace.com, you can go to code.squarespace.com, and you'll see... Everything that they offer when it comes to developers, the entire snippet library that they have, the community of developers that are extending Squarespace and doing really cool stuff with it. So go there, check it out, click on the examples page, you can see everything you can do at squarespace.com and use that code Dan sent me 6 you'll get 10% off. Thanks to Squarespace for making the show possible.
0: You know, my Tumblr site is called hypercritical.
1: Is it hypercritical... I-
0: not in the title but not in the URL tumblr. but that, that was the title that was the that was the second thing that was hypercritical the first thing i wrote an article with the title the second thing i made a tumblr page and the third thing i made a podcast
1: hypercritical.tumblr.com does not look no, like your it, site
0: it's not that site it's not in the url it's just Syracuse.tumblr.com.
1: going into the show notes
0: you know, we keep, I don't know how many times we put that, that Tumblr in the show notes because we mentioned it and like it literally has three posts in it like or five the subtitle
1: is Not My Arse Technical Blog and Not Twitter.
0: It really should say and not my podcast <laughs> and that,
1: not my podcast.
0: I, it, it fits better when it you know I, I think it li- lays out better or is it lies out I don't know uh,
1: so you, you lie down you lay a book down
0: yes I know I was
1: Five notes on one of your posts. Hey, seven. You seven on another. 28! This yeah. is a popular site.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, I guess looking at the clock, we're going to end up doing this whole show on surface. I think that's okay because I think it's worth talking as
1: about. As long as you want, talk as long as you want today. The whole day yeah. is yours.
0: So this thing has uh, many ports poking out of the side of it. It is very unlike uh, the iPad, which just has the dock connector and then a bunch of buttons. This has... All sorts of connectors, USB, and uh, the, you know the full full connectors. size
1: VGA connector.
0: No, it doesn't have that. No, thing. okay, but, <laughs> but it does have DisplayPort. <laughs> you know the little you know mini DisplayPort. I guess it's mini. They just said DisplayPort. Um, and this this is really pushing into the MacBook Air territory because the, the the usage pattern that they described is very appealing to a lot of people. It's it's that you have this thing that's like a tablet. But it has a keyboard and you take it on the go with you. But when you come into the office, you just you plop it down and you plug in your little mini display port thing and plug it into the charger. And you stop looking at this little screen and you stop using this flappy little touch keyboard. Now you're using a real mouse, you know, a real USB mouse, a real keyboard and a real big display. And that's kind of like how people use MacBook Airs a lot of times, especially with like Thunderbolt display. Where you know, when you're working at it at your desk, you think you're using a desktop computer because you're using a desktop screen, desktop keyboard, and mouse. And the power of the device is enough that you don't notice that you know, oh, I'm using this underpowered thing. And again, it's not like a Mac Pro or even a MacBook Pro. But if you're just doing email, web browsing, and word processing and spreadsheets and stuff like that in an office type environment, here finally the IT department has a single device solution for. This is your laptop. This is your. Uh sitting at a work computer, there's no synchronization of data, there's no, you know, having two different environments and dealing with these things. It's just one really super small device. It's, again, it's like the future. It's like imagine if you could take this little thing with you, it's like a book. And when you came to work, you just plopped it down and you got to use a big screen there and you know, you can do it on this thing. And again, you could do it on a MacBook uh uh you know, air as well. And but this the MacBook Air doesn't really turn into a tablet and this is, you know, even slimmer than a MacBook Air. Uh and you can use the same applications but on the Intel one because, you know, when you connect it up to your big thing, it, it, it's running Windows 8, it's running Office IE, and it will also run all your other x86 applications because it's running a core i5 processor. Uh, I don't think they said how much RAM is in the thing, so that might be an issue. And obviously storage might be an issue. You know, like everything is a little bit of a compromise, but the, what they're trying to do here is make it so you can have this one device that your entire life is on and you, your entire work life or whatever. And so it appeals to IT departments. Buy this thing, and you're covered. You don't have to buy a separate laptop, and desktop. Uh, just buy this one thing. A laptop, desktop, and pad, you get one device instead. And this this starts lean towards, like, what do people really want? Uh, this reminds me of a future world scenario, and it's interesting, but is, is that is that what people want? Do people want a way, like, many years ago, it wouldn't be the question. Do people really want some way to have, you know, to just be able to leave their desk and take their entire work with them and not have to have these two things that they synchronize. Of course they want to do that. And, and is it going to be through the cloud that they're going to do that? Is it going to be uh, through data synchronization or could we make one device that does both of it? And this sort of is like a, provides a better way to use the applications you all know. Oh, I use Excel. Okay, well now you've got a better way to use Excel. You can use Excel on the go on your little pad. When you go to work, you can use Excel the traditional way and you don't have to synchronize your files to a server or use Dropbox or anything. They're all just on your pad thing. And yeah, you can have a cloud component as well. But like, here's a better way to use all the apps that you know and love. Uh, is that what people want these days, though? Or do people want better apps? Like, I'm sick of Excel. I don't want to use Windows-style applications anymore. Uh, I like the experience of using an iPad, not because it gives me a way to portably use all the Mac applications that I previously used. It doesn't even run Mac OS X. It uses iOS apps, and I like those better. Uh, is that, uh, are, are iPad apps better apps? Than Windows apps, like should, we, should Microsoft not be providing a way to run your uh, traditional Windows apps? Maybe Microsoft is trying to move away from that and saying oh, Metro apps are better than Windows apps. And we're providing this backwards compatibility because we're Microsoft and to make you feel more comfortable buying it. But we really hope everybody will use Metro apps in now on because both on the desktop and on the go because we think they're better. They're simpler. They have fewer things for you to be concerned about, fewer buttons to press and things to learn. Uh, and what about like, you know, OS 10 applications, which are kind of slowly trying to adopt the best aspects of iOS applications, but also trying to maintain like their power and flexibility and and the things that make them better as Mac applications. I think this is a really interesting battle stacking up, not between Microsoft and Apple, but between traditional desktop style applications and, you know, exemplified by windows applications and none, you know, the new style, uh, Mobile applications exemplified by iOS applications. So there's just so many differences between them in terms of how data is managed, what the user is expected to know, what kind of things can go wrong, how much the user is protected from, like, you know, even just on iOS, like, there's, you know, no saving of documents. Your stuff is always there. It should automatically resume. You don't manage memory yourself. That type of environment that people have shown that they love and that they find much easier to use uh, versus the old style applications where it's like windows and menus and stuff like that. So the elephant in the room in this entire presentation and I'm sure I haven't read a lot of the editorials about it but I'm sure a lot of the editorials about this talk about it is that the the battle that Microsoft is wading into here is actually not about hardware uh, it's very tempting if when someone gives like an hour long presentation touting the features of its hardware to think really hard about the hardware like we just talked about the hardware for like an hour you know oh what kind of features does the hardware have uh how does the hardware stack up against other pieces of hardware in terms of specs in terms of capabilities durability how does it feel everything about it hardware stuff is neat you know but specs and stuff like that every time if it comes down to hardware specs versus uh, you know as uh, as your trump card like we have the best hardware you will be defeated by the people who have the better platform ecosystem And and that's frustrating for people who make hardware, I imagine. It's probably frustrating for those people who made Android tablets with like the Tegra 2 processor, which which was very powerful at one time. And they had more RAM and maybe they had better screens than the iPad 1 or the iPad 2 at some moment in time. But that totally doesn't matter because it's all about the platform ecosystem. Uh, I think it's not about legacy applications either. Microsoft might say, well, we have the platform ecosystem. Everyone loves Office and Windows and we have tons of applications and they're essential for business and enterprises love them. And our ecosystem can win. Uh, that was the, the platform ecosystem that won last time. This time, the platform ecosystem that's winning is iOS and maybe Android. Uh, and so iOS and Android, for all of their, you can compare the hardware however you want and their features and everything, they have a big head start on on the platform. How many Windows 8 Metro applications do you know and love? Do your friends know and love? Uh,
1: well, and there was so little discussion of applications and and even demos of the software in general, it was it seemed to me to be skewed in the direction of hardware, in in general.
0: Yeah, and, and Microsoft has demonstrated Windows 8 and Metro many times before. So maybe they felt like, oh, we've talked about Windows 8, we've talked about Metro, we had so many presentations about this. Now we're just going to concentrate on the hardware. Yeah,
1: but that would be a mistake because there's a lot of people who haven't seen any of those at all, and who would love to come into this saying, "Show me this whole package. Yeah, show me, like- show me this." You know. Because so much of the experience that people are going to have is determined by the software and how it works, and what the as you saying, as what the ecosystem is. What am I going to do with this thing? Okay, it looks cool and it'll blow air on my hands, great. But what what am I going to do with this when I have it? You, they can't omit doing that. And you know, you often see these complaints that that Apple will demo a version of you know a version of Mountain Lion, and then oh well, it was the same old thing. They already demoed it the you know when they do it again. Well, but that's because they know that not everybody saw the first one, and that they want—they know that people will watch that keynote and that presentation from beginning to end, and that keynote in and of itself is going to tell a story. And what story does this tell? That—that's the trouble.
0: Yeah, the hard—the hardware story is a good one, but as you pointed out, like if someone goes into a store, they're going to look at the hardware, but eventually they're going to okay, show me stuff. Show me, I want to read email. I want to browse the web. I want to do Facebook. Yeah, how do I see my movies? Hey, Angry Birds, I want to watch my movies. Like, just the things that people do with devices. And Apple has been relentless in its advertising for all of its iOS devices. All, all they ever do is show you, here's someone talking to their, you know, the grand son or daughter kids, over right. a video. Yeah. Here they are sending an email. Here's someone posting to Facebook. They're playing a video game. It's the funnest iPod ever. They're listening to music. Like, what can you do with the devices? They spend very little time, uh, you know patting themselves on the back for making a super thin notebook. And they, they totally do make those ads, like, now the thinnest, lightest notebook ever, right? But the vast majority of their ads for their most popular products do not sit there and dwell on how great the hardware is. It's all about what you can do with it, and they, and they show you doing with it in totally time lapsed, cheated, you know, nothing will ever be this fast because we have to fit it into 30 seconds type of things, but they show the people using devices to do stuff. And so far, Microsoft has not made the case that if you buy one of these things, you will be able to do all the things that you expect to be able to do with a tablet type device. They have a much easier time making a case that you buy this thing, you'll be able to do what you do with your current Windows PC. Because I I think that's an easier sale. You can say it runs Excel, it runs Microsoft Office, it runs Outlook, it connects to your exchange server, you can do your work. Uh that's that's pretty straightforward. They just have to show that it runs those things. But that's not the mass market anymore, and I don't think it ever really was. Now it's you know consumers, and one of these devices, the ARM device, is clearly a consumer device. They're aiming for the consumers with that, and so the, I think they have to show why would I buy this instead of buying an iPad? Why would I buy this instead of buying uh, you know an Android tablet or anything, or even like a Kindle Fire? Like all those things have some sort of story that they can tell. Maybe the exception of Android, you know, they, if you buy this, you can watch movies from Amazon, you can read your books on it. If you buy this, you can do your email, browse the web, play Angry Birds. Uh, you know, iOS has got like the most, like, you know, any, any mobile application you've ever heard of, it probably was on iOS first. It's probably on iOS best, you know, uh, go nuts. So this, this entire thing, obviously, boy, I wish we had time for the second topic. We probably
1: We have time for whatever you want. Oh, one thing have I'll, time. Yeah, I have time. One thing I'll add is, is that we haven't really talked about, people famously were, you know, saying, well, Microsoft didn't tell us about price. They didn't tell us about availability. Another thing that they didn't talk about at all uh, was things like battery life. Uh, even as much as they did tell us about the hardware, that was something that they didn't really address. And I found an article uh, just before the show, uh, an article on Computer World by Greg, I guess he's said Kaiser, uh, who has done some kind of you know looking at the uh, watt-hour ratings of existing products. And comparing them to the estimated, you know, like watt, or the watt hour rating. So the batteries in there uh, in, in these, because I guess there's a 31.4 watt hour rating in the, the Windows RT Surface. Anyway, uh, he's looking, he's saying that he thinks that the the battery will be 25% less than the iPad. So about seven and a half hours for the Windows RT Surface. Anyway, I'll put this in the show notes, but it was, you know, there was a lot even, even in the hardware focus that there were still a lot of unanswered questions.
0: Yeah, Nobody's, I mean,
1: think about, and again, not to just get, into fanboy territory here, but let's look at, look at the way Apple announces a product. They say, this is what the product looks like. This is how it works. These are the cool things you can do with it. Here's how much it costs. And here's when you can get it. And those are the, those are the things. Those are the questions. If I were to show you some new thing, you'd say, well, oh, how is it made? well, what can I do with it? Well, what does it cost? When can I have it? You know, those are the, those are the simple questions. And Microsoft fails to answer the majority of these questions. And, and that's, that goes back to why, did, why, why do this? And you said Steve Ballmer asked and answered that question. What do you think of, what did he say, and what did you think of what he said?
0: Yeah, he said, why now? And he didn't say, why do we have this announcement now? Uh, why now could mean a lot of things. But yeah, many people interpret it to I mean why would you announce this now? And it's not as if pre-announcing is terrible because clearly they've got like a pretty much finished product. It's not like you know the E3 before a new console comes out, where where uh, you know Nintendo will show a bunch of stuff and say, now all this hardware is subject to change. We might change the controller. We might add buttons. We might remove buttons. We might change features, and then they do. And the next year it's like, well, we move these buttons around, and change this, and now you can have two Wii U remotes instead of one, but not at launch and blah, you know. That wasn't like this. They seemed to have finished products. Like they showed people manufacturing stuff. I think the lines are running, right? Uh, so we're not dinging them for pre-announcing because Apple, you know, pre-announced the iPhone by like six months or whatever it was because you right. know FCC stuff or whatever. It's that they didn't didn't have these answers. You can pre-announce, but Jesus, come at, decide how much they're going to cost. Yeah, you know. Now for, for deciding for you know for pricing availability, uh, they said the Surface. Oh, God, these names. Surface for Windows RT. That's the <laughs> ARM one. Back to that's old school Microsoft naming, you know Microsoft Windows, you know XP Pro Enterprise Gold, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's so bad. All right, so <laughs> it will, it comes in 32 and 64 gig sizes. So at least they had that spec down, and they said priced like comparable tablets that are based on ARM. That's a direct quote. So I guess that means it'll be similar to iPad pricing. So that gives you a ballpark. But Jesus, if they know it's going to be in that ballpark, like it's not like they're hiding the fact that it's going to be fifteen hundred bucks, like. They said it's going to be priced like comparable ARM-based tablets. Just pick a number. For God's sake, pick a number. Just, you know, it's not that... Is so much going to change between now and this thing is released? And they said it will be released with Windows 8, which makes sense. Like, it's a Windows 8 device. When Windows 8 is done, it will come out. That's, you know, that's perfectly acceptable. And Windows 8 is due out, I think, in late summer, July, something like that. Uh, You can't pick a price now? Like, what's going to change between now and July? like they still we still need to have a bunch of meetings with committees about the pricing on this. We still need to decide how much money we can afford to lose on each one of these because they cost like, you know, a thousand dollars to manufacture, but we can only sell them for seven hundred. Like make you can make that decision before the presentation. I feel like you can do that. Uh, Surface for Windows 8 Professional, which is the name of the Intel MacBook Air competitor type thing, comes in sixty four gig and one twenty eight gig miles, which is neat. Like it's it's pressing up past iPad territory, showing it's a more powerful machine. Not quite as big as the Honk SSDs you can get with a MacBook Air these days, but still, it's differentiated in some way. They said it's price comparable with competitive Ultrabook-class PCs. And as we know, Ultrabook-class PCs is code for MacBook Air clones because MacBook Air did pioneer that form factor and design cues. And there are many things that look like MacBook Airs. In fact, I caught when I was flipping through my TiVo the other day, I saw a glimpse of an ad and then I rewound to take a look at it. And it was a Samsung MacBook Air competitor ad that showed the Samsung laptop facing off against what was clearly a MacBook Air, but they erased the Apple logo on the back of it. It's like, look, if you're <laughs> going to call out your competitor, why not, you know, have the guts to say, we, you know, it was like boot time. We boot faster than MacBook Air. Boom, there it is. Not like we boot faster than other Ultrabooks. That's not an other Ultrabook. Like it's clearly, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's sort of so wimpy. So it's just, yeah. So anyway, the the... The Surface for Windows 8 Professional will be out three months after Windows 8 comes out. So that's probably like fall or winter if it gets pushed or whatever. Uh, but I still think they should have been able to come out with price. Now, the Balmer why now thing is everyone assumes they needed to come out and do their press conference before Google makes its, does its press conference for its presumably Google-made Android tablets that's not going to suck and blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's a meta star we haven't talked about at all here is that this is Microsoft making its own hardware in a business that's really close to the PC business. And this is a company that was built on the idea that we make the software. Software has high margins. You guys make the hardware. You kill each other until your margins are almost down to nothing, and, you, and there's only one competitor left. And you have that bad time. Meanwhile, we'll sell software at fat margins the whole time and make money off every single thing that you sell. And we don't care if Dell wins or Gateway wins or Compaq wins or whatever, because we make money on every single one. Like That's the Microsoft model. Uh, and, and in exchange, we, we, Microsoft, won't make PCs. You guys do that. We won't, we won't, you know, we won't mess with your business. It seems like such a great business. Hope you guys have a good time. Uh, we'll just stick to the high margin one. But now, in the world we live in now, that's not how it works. You, the high margin software business is not uh, what it used to be. And they have to come up with a different model. And the different model looks vaguely familiar. You know, uh, their model is we will sell a hardware device with integrated software and we'll make money on the whole widget. Because we've decided that we think we can, I mean, I don't know if they if they really can. Like the Apple models, they make all their money on the hardware. They sell their hardware. They get, you know, huge amounts of profit. I forget what their margins are. Are they 30%, 40%? Huge margins. And those margins are on the hardware. Can Microsoft make those kind of margins on the surface? Maybe they can't. Maybe, they, maybe they're going to, I don't know, maybe they're going to have the worst of, of both worlds here where, Like, it's assumed that when you sell game consoles, you're not going to be making your money on the hardware. Maybe you'll make no money. Maybe you'll take losses. And maybe at the very end of its life cycle, you might make a little money, but you're going to make it up on the games, right? Is Microsoft making iPad-sized margins on the surface? Can they? Mm. Like, the company is not built around that. Apple has taken, like, a decade to build up to the point where they can make, you know, $100, $200 profit on a $500 device. That that seems like it's amazing. And, you know... Is manufactured. No one else could even make this device, let alone make it for this price. And Apple's making it for half that price, and and the rest of it is profit. Like it's just amazing. Microsoft does not have a decades experience of building uh, this class of hardware. They build the Xbox, the original Xbox, the Xbox 360, which was a manufacturing disaster. They built keyboards and mice, but it's not quite the same thing. Uh, I just don't think they have the experience. But here they are moving into this model, saying uh, we're going to try this thing, Uh, but. You know, it's like, no, no. you can move into this model, Microsoft, but you have to actually make money on the hardware. Like, that's the whole point of it, that if you're going to go here because that's where the money is, the money is drying up in the software business. Or maybe they're just frustrated that when they make Windows 8, their hardware partners can't come out with a product that's competitive with the iPad. And maybe it's because they charge those hardware partners like 85 bucks for a copy of Windows 8 and that cuts into their margins. Maybe it's because the hardware partners suck or the hardware isn't built in conjunction with the software, or you know, whatever it is like. Microsoft has clearly decided that they're going to try that other model, the Apple-style model, where you're going to sell the whole widget and you're going to make money on the hardware because it's getting increasingly hard for Microsoft to make money on its software. Not so much because, oh, well, you have to make the whole widget to have a good experience and blah, 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 blah. Mostly because, you know, it seems that the most profitable company in the entire industry makes its money on hardware and Microsoft's ability to make money on software keeps getting you know it keeps decreasing over time they're having a harder time making those fat software margins at this point microsoft's margins are, i think are lower than apple's so a, com- a software company's margins are lower than a hardware company's margins it's a, it's you know it's crazy uh, so the the other meta story here is how do how do you feel as uh, Microsoft's hardware partner say you're hp or dell or you know whoever asus or any of these companies that make hardware and the only reason people buy their hardware is because it runs Microsoft software. How do they feel now? It's like, hmm, you know, if Microsoft is not making PCs, but if this is the future of the business and Microsoft is making its own, that is kind of upsetting. Like, are they betraying their partners? Are their partners upset about this? Nokia, I think, is the only one that's not upset by it. A lot of people said, boy, Nokia must feel bad about this, but I'm sure Nokia is in on all this. Um, I think they're pretty tight with Microsoft, and I think they have, you know... Something going there. I think they have, they're making a coordinated effort on that front. Oh, and by the way, none of these surface things seem to have 3G in them. So it's another possible concession to Nokia where it's saying, we're not making phones. These things don't even have 3G. Right. Like, you know, you're fine. Uh, yeah, your current phones won't run, won't run Windows Phone 8. But, you know, you knew that going in. We talked about it two years ago. But the, the people's contracts are going to be up by the time Windows Phone 8 comes out anyway. So they'll just buy new phones and it's good for everybody. Like, I don't think that's a big deal. But if you are HP or Dell, I would be sweating now. And for the longest time, Microsoft was never willing to do that. Never willing to say, we're making our own hardware. We can't do that because how would our partners feel? Right? Uh well, they've they've reached their limit and say, you know what? Forget it. We're just we're making our own hardware. If our partners don't like it, what are they gonna do? Sell Linux stuff. Like they're finally getting a little bit of balls in this area. I don't know if their foray into the Apple style business model will be successful, but at the very least, they're not avoiding it because they're too scared. So I, I, I applaud that effort and I think the surface definitely looks like the most interesting microsoft hardware product i've seen in a very long time And at the end they had that boy they had to end the presentation in the worst possible way they ended it with like this
1: oh yeah scary... the little the group photo no not the group photo oh not Remember the group the photo
0: oh the yeah scary macho <laughs> surface ad with like the, the distorted electric guitar chord and the scary the fast camera cuts and the flashes it, it reminded me of those like manly tech-oriented Droid TV ads. Like, you have to be a manly tech computer transformer robot isn't Droid. You know, such a huge contrast <laughs> with the Apple touchy-feely iPad ads showing, like, laughing faces of children and fun applications and, like, th- the whimsical virtual turning of a page in, in a skeuomorphic e-reader application. Isn't it just lovely? And people sitting in chairs and enjoying, like, such a contrast with... Boom, chair surface, like, <laughs> weird... Totally weird messaging there. (laughs) Not, I mean, it's it's a way to go. It kind of worked with the droid, but it is a huge contrast with Apple's thing. I'm not saying like the Apple way is the only way you can possibly advertise things like this, but if you, especially for the arm surface, you're trying to make a mass market device. At the very least, ads like that. Only appeal to manly macho tech nerds, and that's not the way to get the mass market. I, you have to go broader than that. I think it's too narrow. Not that it, not that it macho you can't do macho, but they just that 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 was too narrow. So I think I'm I think I'm done with Surface. Anything else to say about Surface? Any no, no, questions? you certainly
1: covered it all. Are you getting one?
0: Nah, no. I mean. I I would like to play with one. I wouldn't. I mean, it took me so long to even get an iPad. I don't, again, the the reason I wouldn't get one is like, well, what would I do with it? I don't, they haven't proven to me that there's anything I can do with this that I would want to do that I can't do with an iPad yet.
1: Do you Uh, think that because it is Microsoft and because it will be running Windows, that this will be more appealing to the enterprise? Uh, That's what some of the articles and speculators are saying is that, well, the reason why, even the, even as you mentioned, the advertising is different. Uh, the, the goal here isn't to get it into people's homes as much as it is to give them something that they will use at work and that the enterprise will embrace in the way that they would never embrace something that Apple made. You're in a very corporate kind of space where you work. Do you, could you see managers approving this before they would approve an iPad or a Mac, yeah. MacBook
0: Air? yeah I I see what they're getting at like for me personally it doesn't appeal because I don't even use a Windows machine at work so a better way to use Windows machines and applications to work doesn't appeal to me but I've been seeing the transformation in my company of like you know when when I joined my company a couple years ago I was the first person in the entire company to have a company purchase Mac as far as I know some people also had the Macs that they brought in from home that were theirs that they used but uh, I think I was the first uh, person who has you know the company buys you a computer
1: was that a stipulation for your employment
0: yes it was that's, that's the way you got to do that, by the way. If People, people want to work at a company and they want to use a Mac. You have to ask them before you accept the offer. <laughs> that's the way negotiations work. Uh, and But now, fast forward to now, two years later, Macs are all over the company. The actual IT department started investigating Macs and, and iPhones and that type of thing. And then they started buying them and handing them out and figuring out how to support them. Like it's happening, you know, because people want to use them. I mean, they noticed that, like, People would be bringing in their own iPhones and they'd have it next to their Blackberry and they'd they'd bring in their own laptops and they'd lug that around along with their Dell laptop. And the IT department correctly said, you know, this is no way to be. We're supposed to be helping them do their work. We don't want them to have like a home computer and a work computer. We don't want them mixing stuff for like liability reasons and all sorts of, like. So if, if you guys want Apple hardware, we should figure out how to support it. And they're they're rolling that out and doing it. But the vast majority of the people in my company still use like a Dell laptop, maybe with a, la- a docking station, and a bunch of Dell monitors, and they're much cheaper than the Macs in every possible sense of that word. Uh, and uh, do the they kind of think of think of
1: them. you as like a prima donna, maybe a little bit?
0: Yeah, well, I, I kind of liked it when I was the only person in the company so They said, you, you're going to be self-supporting. You know, you're going to have to do everything yourself. Don't call us if you have problems. And I'm like, that's exactly the way. <laughs> yeah, fine with me, right? But now that it's officially supported, my biggest fear is that someday they're going to come and say, well, we want all the Macs on the Active Directory network. And I'm going to say, no. <laughs> you know, I do not want an Active Directory account. I want a local user account. I want a total control over my, you know. So it's kind of, anything can be made corporate, right? But so these machines, like I'm trying to think, do I see like my IT department getting a bunch of these machines and deploying them. And I, I do. I like I, the, it's the fact that they're deploying Mac laptops and, and iPads and iPhones and stuff shows that they're open to stuff like that. And I think this device would definitely appeal to them. It's like, oh, so you want, well, well you know, it's another thing for them to investigate. Like they haven't committed. They haven't said, oh, we're an Apple company. We're a Dell company. They're like, we'll, we'll try this. We'll try that. I bet I will see these showing up once they're, they're out and seeing people try them. And then in this kind of increasingly employee-led Environment where the employees decide what they like and what they don't like. It all depends on how you know the users of these devices decide that they work. Maybe the people who are currently only lugging around the Dell laptop and plugging it in, maybe they'll love this. Because God, it's so much thinner than the, that big Dell laptop, and it's so much nicer to use. And in meetings, I don't have to like unfold the thing. I can use the touch screen. But when I come back to my desk, it's so nice. Or maybe they'll say it's underpowered. And geez, when I open this thing up, it's too slow and it doesn't have enough memory. Like, it you know, in in that environment. It will be evaluated as how much better it is or worse it is than a regular x86 laptop with a docking station. And in that environment, I think it can do pretty well because you don't have these open questions about, oh, well, what can I do with it? Well, you can run Office. You can run Windows apps. That's, that's what it does. Like, you know, it, it connects to Exchange. It's on the Active Directory network. It's everything. You're all set to go. Uh, but I don't, you know, that's that's a way for for microsoft to maintain what it's got and maybe take a little bit more of that money because dell doesn't get a cut now if they're selling these things directly from to from microsoft but that's not you know we the future is the people all the rest of the world consumers consumers are buying ipads and iPhones everyone has a cell phone and increasing number of people have tablets and in the home the big, microsoft's big fear and apple's apple's big hope is that Tablet type devices replace the home PC for most people who don't need a P, you know who don't need a truck in, in Steve Jobs parlance, uh, and so iPad sales are going up. PC sale growth is slow except for Mac sales, which are growing faster than the rest of the industry, uh, and that's where the that's where the big volumes are. And Microsoft has always been a big volume business, and so I think they have to do something to serve the IT market. But you know, again, they're they're, they're aiming for the home too, but. Their aim might be a little off there, and they have a big uphill battle to fight there. So I, I don't know, but yeah. But in the enterprise, I think they're making some good moves, and I think they will be able to maintain. I'm sure I'll get feedback from all the people who are in the IT. You don't understand how bad Windows 8 is, and how unfamiliar it is to our users, and it might as well be a totally different operating system. It doesn't integrate. That's that's probably all true. But you know, you know, from my past show, I don't remember which one it was that I think uh, Microsoft needs to be more aggressive about making moves that will upset its customer base not less aggressive like because because again what are they going to do you're going to switch everyone over to windows you're going to buy thousand dollar Macs for every single person in your enterprise no you're not so you're just going to take what microsoft like uh, produces and you're going to like it so be quiet (laughs) yeah i think i think i'm going to save this next topic for next week all right because even though you have all the time in the world i have to pack
1: okay yeah well that's it then yes so you can, you can see all of the links and everything uh, that we have mentioned here. I've done my best to collect them while John talks, in addition to the ones that John himself has curated, at 5by5.tv uh, five five slash hypercritical slash 73. Anything you're wondering about, hopefully we caught it, linked it, put it there. You can follow John on Twitter, Syracusa, S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A, nosy. I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. We thank you very much for listening to this program. Thanks to our sponsors for making it possible. If you would like to help support the show, you can do that by going to iTunes and rating it. Rate the show. Give us a review, and John reads them. He prints them, takes them with him on long flights, and reads them aloud to his uh, friends on the flights. So if you would like to have yours read, start a review there. And I guess that's it, John. Nothing else, nothing else to say? I don't think so, not this week. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we will be back again next week.